Well, good morning again. How about that, huh? I told David he had to do the evangelistic prayer because I was doing the Lord's Supper, the announcements, and preaching. So uh, it was the Dwayne Taylor show there for a while. We really are glad you're here today. And uh, my name is Dwayne, and and I'm the pastor, the lead pastor here. We're very glad that you're here. And we are we are studying James, and like we took like block number one and did that back in January, February, and then all March, April, did block number two, and now we're in block number three, chapter five, and that's what will be today, James chapter five, verses uh, one through five. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, and and what we've learned, well, we learned a lot of stuff. I, James is like one of the most practical books of, in the whole Bible, and what's really really cool is is that. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, the big brother of, of James would have been Jesus Christ. And what an incredible thing that would be to grow up with him. And, and then what's really cool is, is that, and you can imagine this. I mean, let's face it. I don't care how good he was. If your big brother said, I'm God, you probably, you know, you wouldn't buy that very well. You maybe wouldn't want to hit him, okay? And so, so James, you know, looked at Jesus and looked at Jesus. And even when he started doing miracles, didn't believe in him. Did not believe. In fact, his other brothers and sisters, they come and, and they just kind of like doubted Jesus. And then finally they, they crucified him on a cross and he was in the grave and he resurrected the third day. Now listen, when someone dies and gets up on the third day, you pay attention to him. And sometime right after that is when James became a believer. He, big brother or not, he knew that Jesus Christ was God, was the Son of God. And so he became the leader of the Jerusalem church, became a very influential man in the, in the New Testament church. And so he wrote a letter that we now call James to the Jews, the Christian Jews, who had been dispersed around the area. And again, it's one of the most practical um, books in the whole Bible. So today we want to talk about... Wrangling with wealth. And I just love the way God does some really cool things. Uh, I, I want to, I asked Marcia, in case you're wondering what I was doing, I wanted to get her words. Now, the song that they sang, wasn't that a beautiful song? Come on, come on, come on. Wasn't that a beautiful song? Well done. It's just great. Yeah, boy, clap. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it really was a powerful song. But you know, if, there are two things about the song that I grabbed onto. One was, it was like a mathematical equation. If this is true, then this needs to be true. If this is true, then this needs to be true. Um, I, I shall live as one who's been forgiven. So a person who has been forgiven is expected to forgive. A person who has been loved is expected to love. See, so that's how it is with, when you become a Christ follower, is that what you've experienced, you're expected to pass on to other people. That's just the way it is. The last verse is what really caught my mind. Here's what it says. And again, make sure you got the words. Your kingdom come around and through and in me. Your power and glory, let them shine through me. Your hallowed name, oh, may I bear, may I bear with honor. And may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh, may I share with honor. And may you feed a hungry world through me. Now, it's kind of ironic. Well, first thing, thank you, whoever the Holy Spirit led to choose that song. How powerful is that? But you know, God has placed us in our station in life for a specific, very specific reason. I'm one of those guys that happen to believe that you know, God, one of the purposes God raised up America for is to be a generator of wealth, um, not for self-consumption, 
as it's kind of turned out in America, but that the world uh, may hear about his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you say amen to that? Uh, we, you know, America is one of the richest nations in the world, and we can provide and provide and provide that, that his kingdom may be told around the world. So we want to talk about, we've got two scriptures today. One, of course, is James, and this is one of those times that, can I just be honest with you? James sort of kind of just rings people out. I mean, he doesn't like have a, here's a problem and here's an answer, you know. And he doesn't say like, here's a sin and this is the answer. He just kind of like rings somebody out. And you know, he didn't give me, so I felt really, you know, we ought to have a solution thing going on. So, so we're going to look at James and let him, you know, say what he's got to say to rich people. And then, then we're going to talk to, to Paul's letter to First Timothy and how he talks about rich people. Now, in the first scripture, I checked it out in a couple commentaries, and we're, no, we're sure. We're sure that the people that James is talking to are lost rich people, okay? And there's absolutely no doubt that the rich people that Paul is talking to are believer-type rich people. So the first one are going to be rich people who don't know Jesus, and the second group is rich people who do know Jesus. And now, about now, you're going, that's fine, preach, but who's rich? Who's rich? Well, I listened to a message this week, by the way, uh, in a way of getting credit where credit's due. You know, I, two times this week I listened to a message by Amy Stanley, and they were, he was doing a series called uh, Be Rich. And uh, it really, some of the stuff, I knew we were going to talk about James. I'd already picked out First Timothy 6. And some of the things that he said just really stirred, stirred my heart up. It really, really did. And so, so I, he, one of the things he talked about was, well, how do you know if you're rich or not? So, so I came up with, with a way that hopefully maybe we can determine if we're rich or not, all right? So, so here we go. Let me get my, I didn't get my notes out. Hello. All right, here we go. Now, how do you all remember um, Jeff Foxworthy? Jeff Foxworthy? I think he's doing like Christian stuff now, okay? So, but, you know, he's famous for the, you might be a redneck if. I remember one time I did like, um, I, you might be a Baptist if. Like, like you know. You might be a Baptist if, if you, you know the sermon went too long because the Methodist beat you to the restaurant. Yeah. You, you might be a Baptist if you ate fried chicken and took it as a call to preach. You know, you know things like that. Things like, well, I decided I would take that connotation and, you know, do like you might be rich then. Okay? For instance, for instance, you might be rich if you have a house for your car. I know, and that's strange, isn't it? I know, I know. But did you know there are people who actually have a house built on their house, and the whole purpose of that house is to put their car in? Now, now listen, if, you, if you've got a house that houses your car, you just might be rich. You might be rich if you park your car in the garage, I mean, in the driveway, because your garage, your house for your car, is filled with extra stuff. I know it never happens. I know, I know your, your garage is all, your house for your car is always cleaned out. No, did you know there are people really that can't get into their garage? Their poor car has to sit out in the rain and the sunshine because the house they built for the car is full with extra stuff. Isn't that crazy? Can you believe it? Did you know, did you know that, that people actually have sales called garage sales where they sell the extra stuff that's in their garage so they can get their car in the garage 
But before they can get the car in the garage, they go buy more stuff, which they have to put in the house for the car that's the garage. Isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard? You know, if these things have happened to you, there's a possibility you might have been rich. Did, did you know? Did you know? Did you know there are people, they actually go to a car dealer and they give the car dealer their perfectly good running car, then, out of an act of generosity, give the car dealer more money and they get to leave with another perfectly good working car. Can y'all believe this? It's insane. Did you know there are some people that actually will take a kitchen with a stove and a refrigerator and an oven and they actually tear it all out and replace it with another refrigerator, stove, and oven? You know, if you do this kind of stuff, there's just a possibility you might be rich. Now, I know this is shocking to you. Did you know there are some women and men who actually walk into a closet full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. What am I going to do? I have no, I know, seriously. Now, you're, again, if you're, if you're not rich, you don't understand this, but you may have experienced this. You may have actually seen or talk. Maybe you heard a story of a person who actually walked in the closet and said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've got nothing to wear. I'm, I'm, do, you, do you know some people have a machine in their kitchen? You know what that machine does? It chews up all their extra food. Well, really, you can feed a third world nation. Okay? We, we have, they have so much food that they actually pull down this grinder thing and it grinds up all their food. That's what rich people do. It's just, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. Um, um, you know, there are people who have jobs. That's a shocker. But their company actually pays them to not work. It's called vacation. Now, real seriously, now, no, seriously, they actually, they actually say take two weeks or take three weeks or take four weeks, and you don't have to come to work. Just, just go away. And then some of those companies, not the state of Illinois, but some of those companies actually pay you when you quit working. It's called retirement. And again, if you work for the state of Illinois, my condolences. But, but anyway... Isn't that, isn't that just incredible? I know, I know, you, you've never heard of this stuff, but there are actually people who have all that. Did you know? Did you know there are people who will stand in line and actually pull out their iPhone and they'll text their friends and say, I am standing in line at the Apple store to get my new iPhone. And they're texting from their iPhone that perfectly works. It's incredible. That's just what rich people do. Can anybody identify me that stuff? Come on now. I don't know if I text my friends or not, but I'm one of those guys. When, matter of fact, I already got plans for the new iPhone. It's not even out yet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I own four televisions. There ain't but two of us. I got one in the living room. I got one in my study. I've got one in each bedroom. I am set to watch House Hunters International. If it comes on, I'm covered. I'm covered. I've got one of those machines that shoots up all my extra food. And I've got, listen, y'all think y'all rich. I've got a house that holds three cars, not one. 
See, I, you didn't know you had such an influent pastor. I got all this stuff. Now you're still out there saying, Dwayne, I, I, okay, I don't feel rich. Well, listen to this. Did you know? Did you know? You know, richness is an elusive thing. People people have a hard time saying I'm rich. Okay, you know, they asked. They said they asked people who made thirty five thousand dollars a year, how much money would you have? How much income, joint income, would you have to come to to feel rich? So the people who made $35,000 a year said, if I had $75,000 a year, I would be rich. But then they went back and said, okay, you guys who make $75,000 a year, how much would you have to have to feel rich? And they said, $150,000, and I would be rich. In fact, did you know that Money Magazine did a survey of their readership? Here's the question. How much liquid assets or semi-liquid assets would you need to consider yourself rich? You know what the answer was? Five million dollars. And that means if you have one million, you're not rich. Two, three, four, five million dollars and you consider yourself rich. Now watch this. Watch this. I'm not done yet. Did you know if you make $45,000 a year that you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world? That's kind of what I thought might happen. Did you know what I just said? If you made $45,000, joint income or single income, that you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire whole world. I mean, why didn't we jump and go, Whoa, preacher, I knew I was rich. I knew I was. I, how many of y'all got your phone right now texting your friends? I just found out at church I am rich. Why don't we do that? Because we don't feel rich. And, and part of the reason we don't feel rich is, is because of the part of the world that we live in. I was telling Judy, can you imagine living, making $40,000 a year, and you had no car payment, you had no house payment, you had no utilities, your food was grown in your backyard. How much excess income would you have? Tons. You would feel very wealthy, but because we haven't lived in the Western Hemisphere, and particularly in America, where they came out with a new phone every other month, and new cars, and computers, and televisions, and all that. I, I've got Mike Maynard on speed dial. Sure enough, man, in fact, he said, hey, you need to come by the store, we got a new product in. I mean, we're all, you know, we have like milk. Hey, he didn't have to call me, okay? I just get this, hey, Mike, what you got? It's amazing. We're like the same wavelength. We don't feel rich because we got so much to spend our money on. So, so Paul then Paul and James comes along and addresses this. Now, now the first one, remember, it's the lost believers. Okay, that's the lost believers. Uh, yeah, you know that's not that's not oxymoron. To lost people who are wealthy. Okay. Now, the good news is <laughs> this is going to come out wrong. I write. See, I, I sometimes think before I speak. I sometimes say the good news is they're lost. What I mean by that, at least they're not believers in acting this way, okay? But the bad news is, if we're not careful, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, if we're not careful, we kind of have a tendency to act like this. Here's what he says. This is James chapter 5. Come now, you rich people. Remember what we talked about. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Now, these are people that because they're not followers of Christ... 
They put their whole hope, they put everything that they got hanging on right into their wealth, into their stuff. All right? He says, your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This, I told you to read somebody out. I mean, yeah, this gets in their face and says, you rich people. They, you know why their silver and gold is corroded? Because it's been sitting in a dark closet with moisture. It hasn't been used. I'm in the brain. We have my mom's silver tea set. Okay, well, silver plated. So silver plated tea set. And I happen to know where it is. It holds such an important promise in my life. It's in Sarah Blake's apartment on the top shelf in the closet. And it's not silver. It is B-L-A-C-K. You want to know why it's black? Because I haven't polished it in probably eight years. And when you leave silver on a shelf with humidity and oxidation and all that, it turns black. It gets corroded. And James is saying, man, your, your silver, your gold are corroded. They've been piled up just sitting there in storage. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure for the last days. They said, got to save, got to save, got to save, got to save for the last days. And the last days come. And, and how much do you get to take with you? Now, call Randy Reed or call Mike you know, over at the other funeral home, a work funeral home, and they're going to tell you there is no trailer hitch on the hearse, dude. I mean, you, you know, I, I watched a funeral one time back in Cobden a long time ago, and uh, it was a pretty wealthy family, and this lady had on probably a four-carat diamond. And, and the funeral director, now in front of everybody, it's kind of weird, I know, it's kind of weird, but we're at the funeral, at the grave site, you know, we're fixing to lower down in the dirt. And, and, and it was a sister, this is her brother, and it's his sister. And uh, the field director looked to the, the, the brother and said, do you want to take the ring off? He said, no, nah, just bury her with it. Four carat diamond, gone into the dirt. How crazy is that? He goes on and says this. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers, whoa. Your, your, who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You are condemned. You have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. I told you he reamed him out. You know, James wasn't a man of compassion too much in certain circumstances. That is just, that's, but that's what you expect a lost guy to do. I mean, you know, out there in the world, not Christ followers, it's all about me. Consume, 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 consume. Can I have amen there? I mean, again, I told him Wednesday night, you don't get mad at a dog tracking like a dog. You don't get mad at a pig tracking like a pig. And lost people have a tendency just to consume, consume, hoard and hoard. Because they feel like that's all there is. They don't believe in God, of which case they just rot in the grave. Or somehow they're going to slip in by the skin of their teeth. Which without Jesus isn't going to happen. But the bad part is, what about believers who act that way? Let me read something from a commentary. Few people in the Western world can read this passage with understanding and not be at least singed by its truth. We have probably added a new dimension to the problem and that we have not hoarded in order to preserve for later, rather we have hoarded in order to waste. 
Believers today find themselves participating in society's tendency to consume as much as possible without regard to the conditions elsewhere in the world. Will not the corrosion of our cumulative waste testify against us also? I put that in there. I said, wow. What about you, Dwayne? You know, with what you have, the extra you got. You know, what do you do with that? Do I, am I guilty of saving and saving, not even not to secure the future, but just to waste it later? Interesting. Interesting. But what about us? What about every person here in this room who says, okay, I'm a Christ follower. What advice should we listen to? Well, see, Paul um, had a protege named Timothy, and Paul wrote this young preacher boy. He knew that there would be believers, even in that day, who would, who, people who would trust Jesus Christ, and they would have a certain amount of wealth. And so he wanted to tell Timothy what to tell the rich people, okay? Now, on your sermon sheet, you'll see it's 1 Timothy and chapter 6, verse number 17. If you've got your Bibles, turn there, and we'll see it up on the screen in just a moment. But here's what he says. Instruct those who are rich. Instruct those who are rich. Now watch, watch. Don't miss this. In the present age. What does that imply? If there's a present age, does it imply there might be a future age? Yeah. So Paul is saying, when when these folks join your church, Timothy, okay, and they have amassed a certain amount of wealth, Timothy, tell them if they're rich in this present age... There's a way believing Christians who might be rich ought to respond. Okay? So he says this. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. That's warning number one. Two is, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Paul gives two big warnings to believers who have excess, who who have houses for their cars, who stand in their closets and say, I have nothing to wear. All right. He says, for us today, come on, for us today, he says this. He says, warn them not to be arrogant. Now, I look up the word arrogant. Here's what it means. It means haughty, egotistical, superior, and proud. That's what the word, haughty, or what the word arrogance means. See, we have a tendency, the more we have, we have a tendency to get proud. The more we have, we have a tendency. The tendency is there to say, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at what I have. You know, once again, I'm certain. Now, again, y'all know I love cars. Y'all know that. Y'all know I'm driving an old beater car, don't you? Had nothing to do with this message, but it might. But this is a 2002 Hyundai that, that my son-in-law, Blake, did his best to destroy. Two wrecks. Ran it without oil in the engine. The clutch is shot. The CV joints are shot. The struts are shot. I did put four new hubcaps on it. It looks amazing. Amazing. $32 is going to make a big difference when you're driving a beater car. But anyway, so I love cars. But, but sometimes people want a certain label on their car, not because they like that car, but what the car might say to other people about them. Okay? So that's a sign. We've got to be careful that we don't let arrogance slip in. Now, you may as well wait a minute now. I went to school, I got a title, I've worked hard all my life. I may have just been a coal miner, but I've worked hard as a coal miner, and I've amassed and saved, amassed and saved. Dwayne, look what I've done. I understand that. Just that God doesn't. 
There's a, there's a wild and powerful scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, here's the situation. You know, Moses is writing to guys. He's saying, now listen, guys. You're fixing to go into the promised land, and you're going to have these really big, you're going to build great houses, and you're going to have great vineyards, and you're going to have great crops, and, and there's going to be no enemy. It is going to be wild. You're going to have so much stuff. And then he gives them a warning. Here's what the warning says. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, this is the English Standard Version. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is who? It is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as is this day. Moses is telling the nation of Israel, now listen, when you get in there and you've got these big houses and you've got all this stuff, remember who enabled you to have it. Who was it? God. Now, listen to me. Listen to your pastor. Whatever I have and whatever you have, we have it for one reason. Because God enabled you to get it. He is the producer and distributor of wealth for the believer. All that we have is because of him. Now, it would be pretty arrogant then of us if we stood around saying, look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've done. Or if we had a tendency to look down on people who have less, like we're somehow superior or haughty, okay? That would be wrong because, again, if it wasn't for God, none of us would have nothing. Can I have an amen? None of us would have nothing. See, it really puts it. See, see why the song was so cool? Your kingdom come around and through and in me. Your power and glory let them shine through me. Your hallowed name, oh may I bear with honor. And may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh may I share with honor. And may you feed a hungry world through me. See, I know me. I don't mind telling you. When I get, when I get extra, my tendency is it's, it's for me. Just to be honest with you, your pastor. I really fight that, that tendency to pull it in hold on to it. But you can't feed a hungry world through me if I'm holding on to it. So Paul says, warn the people not to be proud. Okay? Not to be arrogant. Realize today, if you're a Christ follower. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you get a free pass. If you're not a Christian, you get a free pass this morning. This part of that. But if you're a Christ follower, just understand this, okay? That God gave you what you got. All of it. Alright? If you went to school and got a degree and you've got that because of that, He gave you the brains. He gave you the brains. Alright? So, so then the second warning, this is so cool. I'm going to show you something in just a minute. The second thing is this. Or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Now, the tendency is that as we amass wealth, if we're not careful, we turn to that wealth to sustain us. Now, I did some math, and it's probably not as cool as it sounds, but it's still pretty cool. When I, when I got out of the Air Force in 1984, I went to a church that paid me $12,000 a year. Um, I had a wife and two small children. And um, no health insurance. And, and I look back at that now and go, how did I do that? 
All I know is now, I somehow spend too much time worrying about my 401k or whatever that thing Godstone is. You know, back in, was it 07 they had the big crash? You know, my 401k went to a 201k. Did yours do that? Yeah, I thought it was really cool, you know. I lost it. I went, oh, wow, that's great. And I told Judy and I asked Tom, I asked some other people, I said, should I keep putting into that thing? And they kept telling me, it'll come back. Just keep putting money in. I'm going, this looks crazy to me. The bucket's got a big hole in it. I'm pouring more money into it. Anybody else feel like that? I mean, I really did. So, so I kept giving them my money. And sure enough, it came back. At least I'm back where I was five years later. At least I'm, I'm back where I was. How cool is it? But every stinking time, some, some sheep and, and somewhere over there sneezes and the price of oil goes up, the 401k goes down. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And I about figured out, Dwayne, son, you don't need to be worried about that 401k. You've got someone bigger than a 401k. You've got Jehovah God Almighty, omnipotent on your side. And if he could take care of you when you were 20-something, 29 years old with two kids and a wife, if he could take care of you then, I think he could take care of you when you're old. He had, His arm's not shortened. He's not changed. He didn't retire and go on vacation. He's still gone. We get our, our, our underwear to what? That's a theological term. It's somewhere. And worry about, worry about what's going to happen. Listen, God is still on the throne. He's still sovereign. And He still wants to use us to feed this world. Not just with bread, but the bread of life. The bread of life. I still believe God's left us here with a purpose in mind. And that purpose is to help this world. Now, there's a great verse in Proverbs it's 1811. Proverbs, you need to write this one down. Here's what it says. Proverbs 1811 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Can I read it again? The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. So, those of us who are rich, those of us who are rich, we imagine our wealth as a fortified city. Our, our, our fortified city is our wealth. I've got, I've got this set aside for this eventuality. And this set aside for this eventuality. And I've got this set aside for this. I've got a plan. And they imagine their wealth as an inscalable wall. In other words, the wall is so high that nothing could top it. That's, that's what happens when our, when our hope starts migrating from God to wealth. We start saying, okay, I've got this now and this will protect me. And notice it says... They imagine their wealth as an inscalable wall. You know why they imagine it? Because it's not true. It's not true. Wealth is not an inscalable wall. Now, let, let, me, let me help you. When, when we look here and we say, okay, how much, let, let's play a game. How much would you need in, in your bank account to feel like you were totally golden? You are impenetrable. You are you have an inscalable wall. How much would you need in your checking account for you to go, I'm prepared for all eventualities. I'm set. Can we take more than you currently have? More than you currently have. 
One of the stories that Andy's told, he said several, this is a true story. He said several years ago, he and his wife was having dinner with a, with a, business, a Christian businessman. And he had read in the paper that this Christian businessman had sold a large business. And, and he had cleared over, are you ready, a billion dollars. Now, Andy used this illustration. He said, take a stack of $1 bills and a million dollars, it's about five and a half, six feet tall. Okay, that's a million dollars. If you did a billion, it's taller than the Empire State Building. Okay, you got that comparison in your brain? This guy had cleared a billion dollars. A Christian businessman said this. He was sharing with Andy, he said, yeah. He says, well, you know, in this world, you can never be too careful. You've got to prepare for the future. And he goes, if he's got a billion dollars, and he's saying he's got to continue to prepare for the future, we're toast. Amen? We're toast. See, how much would you have to put aside before you really felt like you were secure? It's always more and more and more. And when you get there, you're going to find out wealth isn't your safety. God is your safety. Let me give you a little, let me give you a little exam, a little pop quiz on how to determine where you are. Two statements. Two statements. One is, if this was true, there is no God. It's a wash. When you die, you go in the hole. Over. Over. Rover. I've lost all my money. I mean, all of it. Non-recoverable. I've got nothing. Which one would cause you more consternation? Which one of you, which one of them, would drive you to the Rolex bottle faster? Which one of them would cause you to go, uh-oh, no God, no money? Now, let's, let's put a different parameter on it. Okay, you're, you're pondering that, okay? No money, so where's the meal coming tomorrow? No God, at least, okay, no God. I may die one day, but it's not like right now. But, like, there's no food right now. And, and the no God thing may play next, you know, in a year. All right, now imagine this. Imagine you go see your doctor. And the doctor looks you in the eye and says this. You have terminal cancer. And you have two weeks to live. How does that change that scenario? All of a sudden, you've got two weeks to live. Which is more important now? No money or no God? It's no God, isn't it? Because you, you, you're wise enough to know. You're, y'all, y'all are smart people. You know that if you die, the money ain't going to matter. Can I have an amen there? Money does not matter when you die. But if you die without God and there's no God, woohoo. Woohoo. So, let me ask you a question. You get the news. Does your prayer life increase? You're calling everybody you know. I want to get on your prayer list. Don't call the Jehovah Witness. Well, you're going to have to call a church and you start speed dialing. But you call a church. Can I get on your prayer list? Could I get on your prayer list? Could I get on your prayer list? Could I? Prayer all of a sudden. God all of a sudden becomes way important. Now, here's my question. 
Why wait till then? If you're going to turn to God in the end, why not trust God now? If you're in, in the end, when, when, when I'm called to your house and you're breathing your last breath, and I'm breathing my last breath by then probably, okay, and, and if you're going to turn to God then, why not trust Him now? Why not trust Him now? See, God, Paul understood our, the easiness of our hope migrating. But here's the cool part. About now, some of you have got your hand in your pocket, don't you? And you're filling your iPhone. And you're saying, hello, straight talk, here I come. Remember a thing called a flip phone? You see your future. I'm going back. Some of y'all saying, I I'm just going to give up my cell phone totally. I'm not going to give up my cable, but I'll give up my cell phone. You know what the cool part is? Are you ready for this? God does not have a problem with your things. It says it. Look what it says. Don't be arrogant or set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. God didn't have a problem with your iPhone. God didn't have a problem with your BMW. Or your Chevrolet, by the way. I bet God doesn't even care if I've got four televisions. Mike sure is glad. <laughs> he doesn't care about that. You know what he cares about? He cares about the fact that when you start loving your things more than you love him. That's his problem. And Jesus talked about this. Jesus, this, some of y'all are going, I knew I shouldn't come to church today. I knew it. Come to church one time a year and he's got to talk about money. Why do preachers always have to talk about money? Well, you know why? Well, first off, we don't always talk about money. You all know that. Come on. I'm not speaking on things and stuff. But you know what? Jesus talked about money a zillion times more literally than heaven and hell and things like that. Money is mentioned over and over again. And the reason why is because he knew the tendency of a man or woman's heart to migrate there. He knew the chief competitor for our hearts would be money. And God wants our heart. Here's what's cool. I was going to tell you I was going to share something. We learned in Psalm 50 on Wednesday night. Y'all come to church on Wednesday night sometimes. It's kind of fun. Not because not you got to. But we do have some good Bible studies on Wednesday night. But we learned that God doesn't need our money. In fact, he said, he goes, you know, I'm okay with your church services, he said. He says, but I don't need your bulls. And see, there's lights that got in heaven thinking, well, well, God needs my money. God doesn't need your money. He said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And may I add the hills also? Oh, we don't give to God because He needs it. We give to God because we love Him. Well, at least that's what we're supposed to give anyway. So, so here's what Jesus said. In Matthew 6, 19, He says these words. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust... Doesn't it sound familiar? Moth and rust, corrosion. See James, the relationship there? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's that afterlife. Remember the present age and the future age? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Your 401k in heaven doesn't become a 201k. And I, can I, just be, I try to be candid with you guys. I don't fully understand how you lay it up there 
I know you trust God with it and those kind of things. But it really seems like there's an economy in heaven. And somehow, and you can't put a trailer hitch on a hearse, but somehow, and being rich to God, we're going to talk about this tonight, by the way, and when we're rich to God, we can somehow send it ahead. Not, not dollars, but somehow there's a reward up there for those of us or you who might be faithful in this. So, so he says, he says, where moth and rust, neither rust destroys, and where thieves not break through and steal, here it is, for where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, what you treasure owns your heart. What you treasure owns your heart. Now, break it down for you. If prestige, people respecting you, is your treasure, that's, who, that's where your heart will go. If amassing things is, is, your, is your treasure, that's where your heart will go. And it can be something like really good. Did you know church can even play a role in this? Some people put such value. I guess pastors do a lot. You know, they put such emphasis on their ministry. And by the way, if it's our ministry, it can't be God's. But, but on their ministry, if that's our treasure, if doors fills my treasure, then that's where my heart's going to go. And you think that'd be okay, but your heart can only belong to one thing or one person. And if your heart belongs to prestige or things or even religious stuff, it can't belong to God. Amen? That's why this is so important. See, if God really doesn't need our money, so it's not about give, 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 give. It's not. If, if in fact, it's about be careful where your hope migrates. Because I'm telling you, when you put your hope in money, and it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain. You don't, you don't put your future in an uncertain thing. Not when there's a certain thing. Like Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? I think, Andy had a question. I use his. I think this one's mine. Or statement, really. I will not trust in my provisions, but in the one who provides. There it is. Today we leave this place as believers in Jesus Christ. And we say, okay, I'm not going to trust in what I have. Woo-hoo. It just came to me. I'm not going to trust in the things I have. I'm going to trust in the one who has me. You'll be better off. You'll be richer. And here's what's cool. As this happens in our lives, we're going to be freer. You know, what, you know what's great about driving a beater car? You know what a beater car is? It's like, I'm going to sell all this car. Here's the cool thing. I've got the most, I've got the most beautiful. Is it 20 till? Y'all need a bigger clock. I got this really beautiful 2002 Grand Prix. And, buddy, it's black. And when it shined up, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. People go, look at that Grand Prix. Have you ever seen a better-looking Grand Prix? Well, I parked that puppy. Like, if I'm at Walmart, I park at McDonald's. No, seriously. Seriously. Because I don't want nobody to beat it up. Ask me where I parked that old beat-up car. Uh-huh. I take the first parking place. I got a sign. I hang out. No, not really. But I got a sign that says, hit it if you want to. I don't care. There's, there's freedom when things aren't trivial. If we could get there, it would be pretty cool. So when we start saying, God, you're my deal. You're my deal. The stuff that I like and you like is cool. 
We can keep it. It just won't matter as much. Would you bow your heads right there? Are you willing today, in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, to say, I will not trust in the things I have. I will trust in the ones who have me, has me, the one who has me. I will not trust in the things I have. I will trust in the one who has me. Would you say that today? And then would you start trying as God gives you grace and strength to live that way? The words of that song that we so eloquently heard from the ladies is fleshed out in a beautiful and wonderful way. We are so blessed to live where we are. I know the playing field is not, you know, not equal. Some have much more than others. But the truth is, all of us are blessed where we are. All of us, in a certain way, are rich. I will trust, not in the things I have, but in the one who has me. And way back at the beginning, we talked about those guys who didn't know God. And you know, it's, it's a scary feeling to know that like that, you could go eternity. And no matter how much you give and how nice you are and how much you go to church, without Jesus Christ, you won't make heaven. It is what he did on the cross and what we do with him today that really matters. No, it's not about your money. God doesn't need your money. But he desperately loves you. He desperately loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'll be standing down front. It would be my honor to share with you about my best friend, Jesus Christ. God, thanks for this privilege today. I know you're working on my heart with this. I know you're working on my heart. But Father, I pray that you'll work on the hearts of others too. Help us to have a right perspective on what you've placed in our hands. Help me, God. Help us, God, to trust in the one who gives. To put our faith and trust in you and never in the things of this world. And in the process, use us to help, to feed, to love, to share the good news of the gospel with a lost and dying Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.